this is, um, where was it? First one I want to highlight was our children's ministry Bible donation. So we are kicking off next week a new uh, curriculum for our kids called the Gospel Project. Now let me just kind of give you a heads up. When we pick new curriculum here, that doesn't mean we're finding something for the kids to read instead of the Bible. What that means is we are finding something that teaches the kids the Bible the most effectively. And so the Gospel Project is a program that really looks to, to connect the kids to the entire Bible, understanding that common thread of God's grace, God's love, and God's power, all the way from Genesis through Revelation. Uh, so we're going to be kicking that off in the Children's Church program. One of the things that we really love about this curriculum is they also offer Bibles that the kids can take home. And so what that will do is not only will they be able to have that learnings here at church, but they will also make sure that they're having that Bible and that same scriptural emphasis at home as well. Uh, so for this, what the church is doing is we're going to buy all the Bibles, but we're asking parents to buy them for their children. Of course, that means some of them can't afford to do that because they have multiple children or just the financial times are tight. So what we're asking is you as a church family, help us get Bibles to all the kids. Uh, in here, it tells you about the prices. Uh, for the little guys, there's two little Bibles, so it's about 20 bucks to get them their Old and New Testament. For the older guys, it's about 17 bucks to get them their Bible. Uh, we probably need about 20 Bibles in total uh, to take care of our total regular group that comes. So if you're interested in buying a Bible for a child, uh, either come and see me or let, just on your, on your offering or giving, just write Bible in the memo line. And when you put it in, we'll know that's for those Bibles. All right? Uh, any questions on that? Does that make sense to everybody? We good there? Awesome. Um, all right, the second thing I wanted to point out to you guys is just that we have the spiritual donations. Uh, so we work with the Spiritual Center for Addiction. Uh, we take those donations, which you've seen piling up out there in the fellowship hall. We're doing our drop-off next Saturday. So next Saturday, if you're interested in actually taking those donations to the Addiction Center, kind of seeing the program, seeing a little bit more what's going on, meet here at 9.30 a.m. We'll head out as a group together. We'll drop off the donations. And then you can also kind of see what the church and program is over there and how it does great things in the community. All right? We good? Awesome. You guys seem a little sleepy this morning. A little sleepy this morning. Wake up, people. I know it's rainy. I know it's overcast. I know it's one of those days. Am I, is my battery dead? Yes. All right. I'll just talk loud while Alan comes and helps me out here. All right? Um, I know, it's, I know it's a good napping time, right? Does everybody like napping in this weather? Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't do it now. All right? I know Sunday naps are great, but give me about an hour and then go home and snooze away. All right? So we started a new series last week called I Am Harmony. And the point of this sermon series is to talk about you guys as the church. And so the big question I'm asking is, do you go to Harmony Baptist Church or are you? Harmony Baptist Church. We are. And if you're a visitor, the bigger question is, do you go to church or are you the church? That's a big difference in the way that you act from being someone that goes to church and being someone who is the church. Frankly, for those of you that just go to church, I, I hate to just say it as a bluntly, God doesn't want you to just go to church. Frankly, if all you're ever interested in is being a spectator at church, God's like, you can just go home and sleep. God wants people here who want to be the church. Amen. People that want to have a life-changing relationship with Him. People that understand there is more to life than watching other people live. 
Now, what's really hard for us, can you guys hear me now? Better? Same thing. Yes, no, same? No. All right, I'll just keep talking loud. Um, the big difference is, in our culture, we have learned to be spectators. We have learned to be huge, huge spectators. We are used to going home and watching other people live life. In fact, it's so bad, we now watch reality shows to watch other families argue. You ever notice that? You flip on a reality television show, you're not even watching some great character story that's driven by people, love, and emotions. You're just watching people yell. Frankly, a lot of you should shut the TV off and take care of that with yourselves. Because there's probably some relationship things you got to get right. But we've turned into a spectator people. And what God says is, do you know what's awesome about here? You're not a spectator. You're part of it. You're part of what's driving it, what's moving it, what's getting the work done. You shouldn't just be sitting there. And one thing I like about our church, and me and Alan talked about this when we talked about how we wanted the sanctuary to look. You guys sit in light. You know, a lot of churches nowadays, what happens where you're sitting? You sit in the darkness. The stage is lit up because the point is, hey, just watch. Just watch. Not here. You're part of this. Amen. You're here to worship. You're here to learn. You're here to connect with God. Not just me. Amen. And so we want to have a church that realizes we're the church. Amen. I don't come to it to get. I come to it to give. Amen. And here's the cool part. Here's what you miss when you're a spectator. When you're a spectator, all you get is the momentary enjoyment while you're watching. But the moment the show ends, you're bored. The moment the show ends, you're looking for something else to do. When you're a participant, when you're part of what's moving it forward, that joy is with you constantly. When you're a participant, you constantly find yourself having purpose. You constantly find yourself having drive. Because you're not just here to be entertained. You're here to build the kingdom. Amen. And what you know is, that's not done until He comes back. Amen. So you realize that every moment, every breath, every second is another one that's an opportunity for you to build up the kingdom. Amen. Guess what? You ain't ever bored if that's how you think about it. So a couple things to remind you of. Keys to the series. First, we're the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. So why this is important for you to understand is there's a lot of us that we are so trained at being spectators that we'll pull one of these numbers. Man, I really wish God would send somebody to encourage that friend of mine. Man, I really wish God would send someone to help my friend who's struggling. Man, I really wish God would send someone to take care of those kids that nobody loves. My goodness, I wish God would send somebody that would tell the world that this is wrong. Well, when you're a spectator, that's how it works. Why doesn't anybody do anything? Man, somebody should do something. When you are a participant, guess what you realize? Do you know who God sent to encourage him? You. It's why it's on your heart. It's why it's weighing you down. He goes, guys, you're my body. You're my hands. You're my feet. You're my voice. You want to see God at work? You get to work. Amen. That's how it's supposed to work. Now here's what's awesome about that. The reason that most of us don't like to participate is because we don't have the power, the strength, or the ability in and of ourselves. 
Think about it. Why do I like to watch football but not play football? Because if I played football, I'd be on a stretcher quick, there'd never be any first downs, and there would be no touchdowns or celebrations. You'd be like, who's the fat guy who can't catch the ball? Right? But watching it, I get to watch people who are really good do it. I go, that's fun. Well, when you're the church, here's what happens. It's not your power. It's not your wisdom. It's not your knowledge. It's the Spirit of God that's in you. It's His power, His love, His self-discipline. And all of a sudden, you find yourself doing things you didn't think you could do. Amen. Me and Alan talk about this all the time. We talk about how when we're here and God gives us work to do here, we find we do it better than when we're given the same tasks in other places. Amen. Why? Because here, it's Him who's driving. When it's here, it's Him who's giving me the power. It's Him who's giving me the words. Not just me coming up with them. And brothers and sisters, He doesn't just do that for pastors. He does that for the entire body. He says, for all in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The church is not the staff, the church is you guys. It's you. And that one spirit brings us all together, despite all of our differences. And what is that spirit? It's a spirit not of fear, not of timidity, but of what? Of power, love, and self-discipline. So all these different people with different abilities have been brought together and they've been united by what? A spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. That's what the church is supposed to look like. So what we've been doing is we've been pulling this down and going, okay, so that's what God's Word says. How do we start thinking about that here at Harmony? And so our mission at this church is right here. Building a family of disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. I'll admit to you this week what I admit to you last week. That's just a straight rip-off of the Bible. What's the greatest commandment? Love God, love people. What's the New Testament teach us to do? To do those things by doing what? Following Christ. And what does he say we're supposed to be? We are not an organization. We are not a business. We're not an association. We're not a country club. We're a family. And today, the two words I want to focus on are these two. A family of disciples. Now guys, this is the game changer in this whole mission statement. To be honest, this is the part I think most people stink at. Because in America today, we still have a lot of people who will line up and go, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But you know what they're not? They're not disciples. For me... Um, from middle school to high school, there was one sport that I just loved. And it was basketball. It was basketball. I just loved basketball. In fact, one of my favorite gifts that I've ever gotten in my entire life was a set of VHS tapes that were by Pistol Pete Maravich. And they were called Homework Basketball. Anybody know who Pistol Pete Maravich is? For those of you that's a little beyond your time, Pistol Pete Maravich was a point guard. He played at LSU and then later played in the Atlanta Hawks and the Utah Jazz and different groups. But what I loved about Pistol Pete Maravich is he's probably the best ball handler and passer that has ever lived and who has ever played in the NBA. 
I mean, in fact, even in the professionals, he would sometimes have to not do passes because he would pass so quick, so fast, and so unknown that even other professionals couldn't catch his pass or didn't know it was coming to him. So there's highlights, actually, of teammates getting hit in the face with a ball because he'd be looking over here and he'd do a pass and no one saw it. Even the guy who was about to catch it. So, man, I got these tapes and I loved them. In fact, I watched them so much. You know, when you remember VHS, you'd watch it so much. So there'd be that part where you'd rewound so many times it didn't really work anymore. So I'd wake up in the morning, and I'm from, I'm from Indiana. And at this point in my life, I was living in Kentucky. Now, you guys probably don't understand this because you're from Texas. But in Indiana and Kentucky, basketball isn't kind of a sport. It's life. It's life. Like, so how you guys treat football in Texas is how basketball is treated in Indiana and Kentucky. In fact, what I love is when you live in Indiana and Kentucky, every house in the neighborhood has a basketball hoop. Not just the ones with kids. Every house has a hoop. It's just the way it goes. Basketball is huge. And so I wake up in the morning, and I wake up about 7 a.m., and this is summertime. So I can wake up whenever I want. I was waking up at 7 a.m., I'd watch the Maravich tape, I'd take my notes, as to what the drills were and how to do them. I'd watch them three or four times on the drills that I wasn't sure how to do. And then from 8 o'clock till noon, I was in the driveway. And we had a great driveway back then. We were renting this house in Kentucky. It was actually like a carport. We had like a, a big cement pad, so it was like my own court. I had a brick wall right next to it so I could pass off of it and catch it back myself. So it was phenomenal training ground. So from 7, 8 a.m. till noon, it was just passing and dribbling. Then I'd go in for 30 minutes, eat a ham sandwich, and then at 12.30, guess where I'd be back? To the court. And I'd play there until mom started yelling at me, which was normally around seven o'clock. And that was every single day. I remember the first month, my fingers were raw. Had blisters, the skin was all off. It was just crazy. I was like, you wanna do anything else? You wanna go somewhere, you wanna do? No, nah, I'm good. I just wanna do this. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Now here's what's sad. I didn't have a lot of natural talent, so all that practice just made me good enough to get on the team. Just good enough to get on the team. That was it. But you know what? I loved every second of it. But it was brutal, hard work. I share that with you because that's a picture of discipleship. It's when you have a hunger and a passion and a desire for something so strong so aflame in you. No one's ever telling you to go practice. No one's ever telling you should do more of that. If anything, do you know what the people in my life were saying? Like, hey man, chill on the basketball a little bit. You know, why don't you come in and hang out with the brothers? Why don't you do something else with your life besides just this? Now here it was beautiful about it. I loved it so much, I didn't care how hard the work was. Didn't even feel like work. Now, honestly, you know what we love? Is won't all of you love if that's how you felt about your jobs? But let me ask you honestly, show hands. We're in a safe place here. How many of you, if money was no option, would still get up and go to work tomorrow? Well, you work with family, so you gotta answer. <laughs> but a lot of us, we don't. It's just about the paycheck. There's a few of us who live that dream where it's like, hey, even if you stop paying me, I'd be here. Because I love this. I love this. 
So when we talk about discipleship, that's the kind of passion I want you to imagine in your heart. That's the kind of passion I want you to think about in your life. What's that thing for you that no one ever has to tell you to go do it? What's that thing for you that any free time, any free dollar, any free amount of energy, it's going to go to that? What is that thing? What God says is, that should be Him. It should be His kingdom. It should be getting to His presence. And so I want to break that down into three things that you should be looking for. First, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, you need to love the Word. You need to love the Word. Okay? Now before I get into this, let me just clarify one thing here for you. Disciple of Christ. A lot of people who are Christians have no desire to ever be Jesus' disciple. Most of us, what we want Jesus to be is our insurance policy. We want Jesus to be my backup plan. So here's what I mean by that. I want to live my life, push forward by my desires, pushing towards my dreams, and I will go to Jesus either when those fail, when life throws a curveball at me, or when I really, truly, badly need them. But it's me driving towards my dream, my plan, my legacy. And frankly, what that turns into a lot of us doing is, I'll give to God the extra. He gets my extra time. And really, I shouldn't even say extra, because it's really more, the more way it's leftovers. I'll give them the leftover money. I'll give them the leftover time. I'll give them the leftover passion. I'll give them the leftover skill. I'll give them whatever's left over after I do everything else I want to. Then I'll come to him. And so for a lot of you guys who've been Christians for a while and you're going, man, I just feel like a hamster on a wheel, it's because that's how you're chasing him. And as long as that's how your relationship with him works, that you're just here to give him the leftovers, that you're just hoping that he's going to bail you out when things go bad. That you're just hoping that, hey, I built a good enough relationship with him that when I die, and I show up at the pearly gates, he's going to go, oh, I think I remember you. Yeah, come on in. You're good. If that's all you want, this is going to be a futile relationship for you for the rest of your life. Because it's not how it works. That kind of mindset's like getting married to have someone clean your house and be with you occasionally. If that's how your marriage is built off, good luck. That's going to be a terrible relationship. How it should be is, I'm so in love with you, I don't care where life takes us, I don't care what happens, I just need to be with you. That's what I want. And so as Christians, what that looks like, is that looks like you going, God, I follow you. What's your will? What's your way? What's your desire? Forget mine. How can I give to make your kingdom happen? And frankly, that's not most of us. And, and when I say most of us, I'm talking about Christians. You, you want to prove my point? Go to family Christian bookstores this week. Most of the books, do you know what they're about? You. How to Godly Lose Weight. The Seven Steps to Godly Finances. The Seven Steps to a Better Godly Marriage. You know what so few of them are about? How to Know God Better. How to serve God better. How to see His kingdom more clearly. About us. 
God's not your backup plan. He's not your genie in a bottle. He's not your insurance plan. He is God Almighty. He is the Lord. He's not here to serve you. You're here to serve Him. Amen. Now here's the hard part for us as Americans. We go, serve someone. Hey buddy, we're the land of the free, home of the brave. We don't serve people. Okay? I'm powerful. I'm smart. I'm bold. I've worked to put myself in a place. People serve me. So we've adopted the ways of the world. And God goes, don't do that. Don't do that. You know what the ways of the world lead to? Death. You know what the ways of the world lead to? They lead to people backstabbing each other, betraying each other, hurting each other, fighting, anger, hate, all that. You want to see what that selfish pride has led to? Just go look at the world. Does America look like a great place to live right now? I mean, get it. I know we're selfish. We got good money, we got good food, we got good safety, but we are not a happy people. We're looking everywhere for places to yell at each other. Because it's about me and what I want. God says that can't be a disciple. So how do we get that mentality right? You start with loving the word. Open your Bibles to Joshua 1. While you're flipping there, let me give you the context. Joshua 1 is a phenomenal book about leadership. Joshua 1 is about a young guy named Joshua who has been second fiddle his whole life. He has been the right-hand man to Moses, one of the greatest leaders in all of history. In fact, not even just Christians say that. You just study leadership and impactful historical characters, and everybody will tell you Moses is one of the biggest names in history. Moses dies, and Joshua is the next man up. Amen. Can you imagine filling those shoes? Can you imagine having to step into one of the greatest leaders of the history of mankind's shoes and go, I got next. It's a tough thing to do. So what Joshua is about is God working with this man to go, here's how I'm going to make you successful. Here's Joshua, how I'm going to make you overcome that shadow and you be successful leading these people. Look at Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. This is God talking to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. <laughs> have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. God to this young new leader says, you want the keys to success? Read the word. You read that word, you meditate on that word, and you do not go away from it. Don't veer to the left, don't veer to the right. You know my word. You think about my word. You act on my word. And that is your God. If you do that, you will only know victory. Amen. You will only know victory. 
And you know what I love about the rest of the book? It just proves that whole section out. Early on, Joshua's learning leadership. He makes a few mistakes where he veers to the left or to the right. What does he run into? He runs into defeat. From those defeats, you know what he learns? I shouldn't deviate from God's word. I need to stay on God's word. And from there on, do you know what happens? Victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. In fact, there's so many victories, there's two chapters where it's just God listing all the people he beat. That's how victorious he becomes. Early on, you read these whole long chapters and stories about individual battles. Later in life, it's just like, oh, Joshua beat this guy and that guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. Why? Because he learned. I hold that word in my heart. I don't just read it. I meditate upon it. And then I act upon it. You know, real shame I see in America right now? Real shame I see is with American Christians is you guys believe anything that a pastor says on a stage. You know why? Because you don't know the word. You guys have trusted too many pastors to be the one that goes, I'll tell you what the word says. Just trust me. I'll just say what it says and you just take that. You should be sitting there every Sunday. You should be reading this word for yourself. You should be praying it and going, yeah, that is what the word says. That is what the word says. Or you know what? Challenge. Hey, I think he's saying what Luke thinks. I don't think he's saying what the word thinks. When I came here, I gave Brother James a job. You know what that job was? If you hear me talking about my ideas, smack me. If you hear me saying this is what Luke thinks, you need to talk to me. Because my job is to tell you what this word says. But guess what, guys? Not every pastor does that. You should know your word enough that you understand the context and you start discerning the truths yourself. Do you think God put his spirit in you so that you need to come to me to know what the Bible says? No. Read it. Love it. Meditate on it. And then act in it. Look at Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. I love that. You know why I love that? Because that's not how most people describe reading the Bible. A lot of people describe reading the Bible like, I don't know, I sat down, I tried to understand it, there's a bunch of words I don't get, there's these name, names I can't pronounce. It's so confusing, it's just so hard. Jeremiah looked at God's word and went, sweet, it's a delight. I remember when I was a kid and I'd read nonfiction, or I'd read fiction. There'd be those books where like you just didn't want to put them down. You know, you just you just kept reading. One more chapter. One more chapter. Just one more chapter. I gotta see what happens. When's the last time you had that feeling about reading the God's Word? Man, just one more chapter. Just one more page. I can't put it down. Like I get it, it takes work, but when you love him. When you want Him, when you desire Him, you'll put it in. I remember watching those basketball tapes. There were some drills he did. I was like, I don't even know how he did that. I didn't go, well, forget it. Next one. I went, rewind. Look at it again. Rewind. Slow it down. Okay, okay. Fifth time, sixth time, seventh time. Okay, eighth time. I get it now. I get how he's doing that. I get how he's doing it. Now I think I'm going to go learn to do it. 
There was that kind of desire in me to go, I will not be confused by this. I believe this is word from my father that he wrote for me to read on this day. And if my father wrote this for me, for me to read, guess what I believe? I can understand it. I can understand it. But do you want it? Are you trying to? Are you putting the time in? Are you putting the energy in? There's some of you, I guarantee today, are sitting there going, I wish God would talk to me. I got this thing in my life. I got this thing in my life and I just need to know what He wants me to do. I'm praying about it. I'm, I'm on my knees. I don't know what to do. I just want to hear His voice. And do you know what God's saying to you? The answer is right there. Son, daughter, I wrote you the answer 2,000 years ago. Amen. I have it. I've given it to you. It's waiting for you to read. But you just won't read it. Oh, but God, talk to me. It's right there. It's right there. I want you to think about that for just a second, right? Can you imagine? Probably the person in my life that I've lost, that I was closest to, is my grandfather. I can't imagine if I found a letter from my grandpa Larry to me that I would go like, oh cool, I'll put that over on the desk and read it later. If my grandpa Larry wrote me a letter and I found it today, guess what the first thing I'd be doing was? I'd be reading it. I'd be reading it over and over and over and over again. There's no way I'd put it in a desk and go, eh, I'll get to it someday. You know, there's a great show on Netflix right now. After I watch those 13 episodes, I'll see what Grandpa Larry had to say to me. Be my priority. I'd skip work to read that letter. It would mean that much to me. There's some of you who don't realize your father, the one who shaped you, the one that before you were even in your mother's womb, handcrafted you, threaded you together, each ounce of you, everything that makes you who you are. He wrote this for you and goes, child, my words to you. Read it. And some of you have gone, eh, I'll get to it. I got better things to do. What that tells me is one of two things. One, either you don't see God as your father, or two, you're just really not thinking. I think for a lot of us, it's we don't see God as dad. We don't think of God as my Father. To be honest, you know what was one of the most revolutionary things about Jesus? He called God Abba. Oh, that made the Pharisees mad. They were like, how dare you? Almighty Yahweh? You refer to as Abba? Which means Daddy? But that's how God, Jesus talked to him. Dad, I need to hear from you. Dad, I gotta talk to you. Dad, I need your help. They were like, who are you to talk to him so familiarly? And he's like, I'm his son. That's who I am. I call him dad because that's who he is. And you know what Jesus said? When I died on that cross and you were crucified with me, he became your dad too. You have the right now to look up and go, Dad, I need to talk to you. Do you? Do you care what he said right here in this letter to you? 
Look at John 8.31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. Notice the word he picks. I love it. If you abide in my word. Does it say if you read my word? If you know my word? If you listen to my word? If you glance at my word every six months? He says, no. If you live in my word, if you live in it, and you know why his word is so powerful? In the book of John, what does God describe Jesus as? Or John describes Jesus as? He says Jesus is the word. See, what, what God's trying to tell you is, those just aren't like good ideas on paper. That Bible you hold in your hands, the word of God, it is Christ. It is him. It's his heart. It's his emotions. It's his mind. It's his power. It's his love. It's what he's given you. It's him. That's why it matters. That's why when you go to it, it doesn't just talk to you about generic things. It talks to you about where you're at right now. Has anybody ever experienced an unbelievable moment where you read words that you've read before, but because right now where you're at, you read it and you go, oh God, I needed that. I've read this thing 20 times, but today, Father, sitting where I sit in the circumstances that I'm in now, I get it now. Man, I get it now. You were saving this part for me in this moment. But you got to be in it. You got to be in it. Are you? If you love that word, you'll be dissecting it day in and day out. You know one of my greatest frustrations is? I have too many cool pieces of scripture that I don't have enough time to get into. So right now I've got like three or four topics I'm trying to like, I really want to study. But I can't find enough time to study all of them. So I'll do a little bit here and a little bit here. And I'm, but there's more here I need to get into. I hope that's how you feel about the Word. Is that you're just excited about it. Man, this sermon's going to go way too long. Do your best to present yourself to God. Just one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. So it's funny, I talked about my grandpa. This is one of his favorite verses. Talk to us about this all the time. Study to show thyself approved to God, a workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's that mean? It means you need to be like a contractor is with his hammer. I mean, when you go watch a contractor who's building a house, he doesn't pick up a hammer and go, how do I hold this? Is it, is it this end I hit the nail with? But you watch him and it's like just an extension of his being. He's just so used to using it, he's just that comfortable with it. If you've ever seen someone who, who uses tools for their living, whatever they are, you realize like, man, you think about that differently than I do. For me growing up was my dad with guns. My dad was a Green Beret, small arms expert. Him with a weapon is just like second nature. Me, I'm like, okay, uh, magazine's out, it's unloaded, I think I've got it. Great. I'm going through all the checklists. The checklist to him, he's done it so many times, it just happens. It just happens. That's how you should be with the word. 
just connecting dots. Why? Because you've been in it so long, so often, so many times, it just all starts coming together for you. It just all starts interacting. Second thing, submit all to the Lord. This is the hard part about being a disciple, and this goes back to what I was saying before. Many of you want Jesus to be your Savior. You're cool with that. Jesus, bail me out when it's bad. Jesus, wipe away my sins. Jesus, forgive me. What you're not cool with is waking up, falling on your knees and going, your will, not mine. Most of you are not ready to walk in and go, Christ, my dreams do not matter. Do you know what my dream is? To accomplish yours. How many of your prayers are, God, this is what I want, please make it happen. Versus, God, show me what you want for me. Those are two very different prayers to have. A lot of us line up and we give Jesus a wish list of all the things we need. And we say, Father, in your power, make it happen. It's not a disciple's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus taught us to prayer, what he said is the first thing you do is you recognize where he is, you glorify his name, and then you ask him, Father, what is your will? What is your will? Do you look at everything you have and realize it's not yours? Do you look at every talent, every ability, every second, every minute, every dollar, every material thing, every emotion, all of it, and realize all it is is raw material that you can give to God for Him to build His kingdom? Later in the series, we'll talk about giving because I want to clear some things on, on how you should give at church. But let me just say this. A lot of people, they think about giving to God and what's comfortable and what's easy. Stop being a disciple. You don't give them the, the leftover stuff. You give him the prime cut. When you're a disciple, you go, everything I have, every ounce of my being is to make this happen. So do as you will, Father. It is all yours. All of it. All of it. And do you know why it's easy to do that for Christ? What did he do on the cross? He literally said, Father, it's all yours. Every ounce of blood is yours. He was the first to come to sacrifice. And you know what? He gave up a heck of a lot more than you and me. He was perfect. He was all powerful. He was without flaw. He was perfection. Can you imagine the quality of life that Jesus could have had if he was just out for himself? I mean, look, look at our world and how marginal talent in one field can make somebody unbelievably powerful, famous, and successful. Christ was perfect. <coughs> any field, any job, anywhere, he knows it all. He could have lived like no one else has ever lived. Instead, he came and said, I give it all away, Father. I give every ounce of it away. It's funny, I didn't completely get that until I had children. Now that I got a kid, I understand that. Because it's funny, before I had kids, you know what I thought about a lot? I thought about how do I make Luke gradeless better? How, how, how do I get more patient? How do I get 
more holy? How do I get closer to God? How do I do this? How do I do that? You know what I think about now? How do I make sure that Ty and Jake are servants of God? That's what I care about. Frankly, I really don't care if anybody ever remembers my name. But I sure as heck hope one day when I'm dying, I look at those two boys and go, those are disciples right there. And most of my time and energy now is about that. How do I get them there? That's where, I'm, where I think now. That's how Jesus was. He was sitting here going, Father, I don't care about my will. I care about yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything. Look at Romans 12. Look at Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I repeat, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God, I don't give you a portion. I give it all. I give it all. Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. Jesus to his disciples said, to you who want to be my disciples, if you will not renounce everything you have, you don't get to be one. Now here's what you got to understand in context. Was he saying to all his people, go sell everything? No, what he was saying is, if there's anything in your life that you would hold back from me, you're not ready to be a disciple. The point for Christ is always this. Not that He's going to come in and take all that's yours, but what He wants to know is if I show up to you and I go, I need this, that there's not a thing He can say where you'd go, no, Father, not that. No, Father, not that. I'll give you anything else, but I won't give you that. If there is anything in that list that you will not give him, you don't understand what being a disciple is. Being a disciple means, Jesus, this is your house. Walk in and take it all. Take anything you want, Father. Because we know I owe you more than that. We know I'd give you more than that. Everything has to be available to him. Probably the hardest verse for many Christians is this one right here. Matthew 10.37 Whoever loves father or more, mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The same way of saying what he was before but more emotional. He's removed it from the world of things to the world of relationships. And he's saying to you who want to be my disciple, if there is any other human being that you love more than you love me, you're not ready to be my disciple. Do you get that? I mean, guys, that should be like a moment of reflection for you. Do you love him more than you love that child of yours? Do you love him more than that, that spouse of yours? Do you love him more than anything and everything in this world? Do you love him more than that? If the answer is no or I don't know, you're not a disciple yet. See, the reason the American church is struggling is because we're a bunch of people who want to call ourselves Christians, 
but we ain't disciples. You know how you know when you have disciples? They change the world. When you have people completely and utterly sold out, when you have even a small group who go, everything I've got, every second I breathe, every moment I'm alive, I am chasing after this one thing and nothing will stop me until I die, you better watch out. Those are dangerous people. Dangerous people. And frankly, I think that's what God wanted His church to be. That's why He keeps talking about a spirit of power. If there was truly in this room 67 people who went, there's no limits. Everything I have is His. Every moment I live is His. Everything I do is about His kingdom. Man, this city would look different. Your families would look different. This building would look different. I mean, what did he take? Look at Jesus' whole strategy to build the church. Twelve guys. He didn't go after thousands. He knew if when I die, if I have these eleven men ready to give up everything they've got for this, we'll be good. That's all he needed. He knew he'd rather have eleven disciples than thousands of followers kids this Sunday are talking about Palm Sunday. They're talking about that triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem the week that he dies. The week he walks in to Jerusalem, people line the streets and cheer him. Within a week they'll be cheering his death. That's the difference between followers and disciples. Followers go with the flow, man. Followers do what's easy. Followers do what's trendy. Followers do what the crowd's doing. Disciples go, I will do whatever I need to to be with Him. Whatever I need to to be with Him. Is that you? You know what's great? You don't have to ever answer me that question. I'll know it. You know how many people back when I was playing basketball in middle school asked me what my favorite sport was? Zero. Why do you think nobody ever asked me what my favorite sport was? Because it was a dumb question. All he does is play basketball. All he watches is basketball. All he wears is basketball jerseys. I think he likes basketball. (laughs) If you're a disciple, I'll never ask you. Because I'll see it in everything you do. I'll see it in the way you entertain yourself. I'll see it in the way you live. I'll see it in the way you read. I'll see it in the way you do. It will be all over you. In fact, you'll never be able to hide it. It'll be that apparent. So go look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I a follower or am I a disciple? Do I love this word and am I opened up my heart and said, God, everything in it is yours. Take it all. Amen. Your will, not mine. As Maria comes up, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. I want you where you're at to have that conversation with God. I want you where you're at to just go to Him and say, do you even feel comfortable enough to call Him Dad? And to ask Him to show you if there's anything in your life that you're holding back from Him. Have that conversation with the Father.
Brother Jeff.
of your week here at the right place. Amen. I hope you have a great week. Remember 